Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 15. The book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 15. We are so thankful that you are able to join with us this morning on this day that we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to preach an encouraging message to you concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians and chapter Number 15. If you wouldn't mind when you take your Bible to look with me, and I want you to read along as I read it out loud, and I would like to read together in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and I want you to notice with me what the Bible says starting at verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose up again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were that I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, we do mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and notice with me in verse 1, notice the simple phrase, the gospel. The gospel. And with the Lord's help, I'd love to preach from you to you from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the idea here of the gospel. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you that we could gather together today, even in the idea of technology, that we could assemble together around your word. And we're asking that your word would go forth. We're thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is not just stuck in one location, but the same time as we're preaching and our church folks are gathered together in different locations, that your Holy Spirit can speak to their hearts, can direct their hearts, and can be everywhere at once. And so we trust you, Holy Spirit, to do your work, to draw people close to you. We're thankful for the ministry of Jesus Christ, that you died for us to pay our price up on Calvary's hill, and that you gave us forgiveness of sins, full, free, and forever for all that believe. We're asking that we'd have a better understanding of what you did on the cross of Calvary and the resurrection and why it's so important because of this message here. Thank you again for the great opportunity. Now open up your word, fill me with your precious spirit, and you do something amazing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to the book of 1 Corinthians, we understand that the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church of Corinth. And there are some misunderstandings that the church of Corinth has on quite a lot of issues. And so the Apostle Paul takes, in the midst of correcting all of these issues, he takes some time to tell them about the gospel. And so if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to show you from the Apostle Paul's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church of Corinth, some things that he wanted them to know about the gospel and specifically the part of the resurrection. The very first thing I'd like to show you here is the resurrection is part of the gospel. The resurrection is the is part of the gospel. Now we know that the gospel is the message necessary for someone to be saved. That means that someone comes to the idea where they realize that they're a sinner and because of their sin that they've offended a holy righteous God and they deserve to go to an awful place called hell. But that Jesus paid the price for them and that he rose again. That they come to the place when they accept Jesus as their savior, they need that to be forgiven of their sins. That's what we mean by someone getting saved. It means they're delivered from the price that they owed. Now, it was to be the message that the apostle Paul to the local church on how to have forgiveness of sins. Now, with this, we could see that the gospel record has three parts. If you wouldn't mind, look with me in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and notice with me in verse 1. It says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So the apostle Paul is saying, listen, I'm telling you the same message I told you before. I'm repeating the same message. The message doesn't change. What you need to know is the gospel. It is the gospel that saves lives. It is the gospel that gives us forgiveness of sins. It is the gospel that people need to hear today. It is the gospel that is the message of the hour. It's the message that every person needs to hear. It is the gospel. So what is the the gospel. Well, notice as the Apostle Paul takes some time to explain what the gospel is in verse number three. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I have also received. So Paul says, I'm just telling you the same thing that was told to me. What is it? How Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and how he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So the gospel message is quite simple. It has three elements. It has three parts. It is the death 
the burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And each one of these three parts are very important because each one of these three parts explain what Jesus Christ did for us on that time when he died on Calvary's cross, was buried on a borrowed tomb, and the importance that he rose again the third day. If you don't mind, let's take these elements of the gospel here. First of all, we see the death. The death. In order for our sins to be forgiven, something must have died in order to pay the price we owed God. The Bible explains in the book of Romans, chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The Bible says the price that we owe, the wage that we owe God because of sin. Now, sin is anything that we've done against God. We know that in the Bible it declares the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments is thou shall not bear false witness. We would say it this way. Don't tell lies. Well, the Bible says that because we broke God's law, because we told a lie, we have sinned. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. What do we owe God because we've told lies? What do we owe God because we disobeyed our folks? We owe God death. You say, well, that's a harsh punishment. Well, it is a harsh punishment, but that's because the sin is also harsh as well. Think about heaven. Heaven is a perfect place. That's why we want to go there. Up in heaven, there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. It's perfect. But you know what makes heaven worth going there? Because God is there. Because Jesus is there. And the way that the Bible describes God is that he is holy, holy, holy. You could state it this way. The word holy carries the idea of perfect. That God is perfect, perfect, perfect. But the problem is is that we are not perfect. And just using logic, you can't set something that's not perfect and place it in a perfect place. It would ruin it. And so God cannot allow anyone who is not perfect into heaven. It would ruin it. And so that is why the penalty of sin is death. The word death carries the idea of separation. We don't deserve to go to heaven because we're not perfect. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also goes on for the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin That in order to make it right, something must die. Well, because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God didn't want to see a single person go to that awful place called hell. So what God did is that he robed himself in flesh. And put on this flesh, and then he lived the same life that you and I lived. Jesus went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then he died on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. Jesus Christ had to die in order to pay the payment that was made. Jesus had to die. That's why it's an important part of the gospel is that the death of Jesus Christ, Jesus died to pay our price. There's a second part of the gospel element here that not only do we have the death, but we also have the burial. Notice with me in verse 4 that he... And that he was buried. Why is it that this is such a big deal about the burial? It's because it was not enough that blood was shed. It wasn't just the idea that Jesus bled for us. Jesus also had to die for us. And so that's what the burial teaches. That Jesus actually died. 
It wasn't the idea, and we'll talk about some of this in just a second. It wasn't just the idea that there was uh, a falsehood. Jesus literally died. The price that God owed was death. It wasn't just the price of blood. It was the price of death and the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. But something had to die in order to pay our price. And Jesus died. Now we understand that today, and today's world, there's been different theories that come up to try to explain that Jesus did not die. One of them was the swoon theory. And so some of the people describe that Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, that he didn't die, he just was absent of blood, uh, that he was just fatigued. Now let me explain to you the death of Jesus Christ. That it started when he was going uh, in the, um, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he began to pray. The Bible says that he prayed so fervently that he began to sweat great drops of blood. What happened there? Well, as he prayed so fervently and so heatedly that the capillaries within the skin began to burst. And as the capillaries in the skin began to burst, they would mix within the sweat. And as he would be praying so fervently, so heatedly, he began to sweat. And those drops of blood from the burst capillaries began to flow on his face. Now, this would do something amazing or medically significant with his skin that as the capillaries would begin to burst and he began to sweat drops of blood it began to thin the actual skin it would make it so it'd be easier to tear that will come into play later on now Jesus has already been up and he's already had a busy day he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane he hasn't slept he's been praying his disciples are tired and they keep going to sleep but Jesus hasn't slept yet what happens is when they came and they arrested Jesus Christ in the middle of the night, probably about three o'clock in the morning, that they immediately rushed him into an illegal trial. They didn't wait till morning rose. They met in the middle of the night and only gathered the people to this illegal trial that would be ready to condemn Jesus Christ. They conveniently forgot to invite or did not invite those who would be sympathetic to Jesus' cause. And so they had this illegal trial. And the consequence of this trial is they said that he was guilty to die. Now the Jewish people did not have the authority to put someone to death within Jerusalem, within uh, this area. And so they had to turn him over to the Roman government. So they had an illegal trial. The verdict of the trial is that he was guilty of death. So they turned him over to the Roman government in order to convince them that Jesus was worthy to death. And the charge that the Jewish people had put to Jesus Christ uh, was of sedition. They accused Jesus Christ falsely that Jesus Christ had been training people to overthrow the Roman government. And that's not what Jesus was to do at all. And so Jesus Christ was examined, interviewed, and interrogated by the Roman government. Now Pontius Pilate did not want to put Jesus to death. We understand that his own wife had a dream that said don't put him to death. He examined him and could not find anything worthy of death within within Jesus, but he had to satisfy the revolting Jewish people within that government. And so his plan of action was if he could shed the blood of Jesus Christ, 
if he could shed the blood, that the people would look at the horrible fixture of Jesus and see his blood and they would be sympathetic and they would spare his life. And so what Pontius Pilate did in order to spare Jesus' death, he beat him. How did they beat him? Well, they had what was called the cat of nine tails, which would be a whip with nine straps. At the end of the straps, they would have glass or hooks or rocks, something and the like. And what they would do is they would take that cat of nine tails and put it on the bare back of the victim. And they would whip it. And as they would whip it, the the hooks and the glass and the rocks would get caught within the skin. And they would rip it open. The first century historian Josephus said that just one lashing... You could take your finger and actually touch the bone of the person who got lashed. And what the Romans did is they took that cat of nine tails and they whipped it across the back of Jesus over and over and over and over until his back literally looked like hamburger meat. It was hanging in shreds. Then what they did to mock and Jesus Christ is they put on a robe over him. When they did that, the blood that was draining out of Jesus' back began to soak into that robe. Pontius Pilate presented Jesus Christ before the crowd with the hopes that they could see how bloody and beaten he already was, that the crowd would be sympathetic. But instead, the Pharisees had, had riled up the crowd and they all chanted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate acquiesced to their cries and ordered for Jesus to be put to death. But that wasn't the end of his torture. What they did is they took that robe that had begun to soak with the blood and it began to congeal and coagulate and they ripped it up, opening those wounds afresh and began to allow him to bleed. They brought him through a gauntlet of Roman soldiers that they blindfolded him and they brought him through and they took their hands and their fist and they hit him on the face and bashed him in the face and caused his face to swell. They took his beard for the Hebrew person. uh, The beard was a sign of respect and honor. And they just took his beard and yanked it out, pulling out chunks of flesh at the same time. They took a crown of thorns, which was big, huge spikes, and they drilled it into his head. They beat And they battered him. The book of Isaiah says that you could no longer even recognize that he was a man anymore when you looked at him. And then what they did is they put him on the cross. Now when the Roman soldiers would put them on the cross, they would nail his hands to the cross. Now back in the ancient world, this wrist part was considered part of the hand. And inside of the wrist right here is the median nerve, which is the most sensitive nerve in all of the human body. We sometimes will hit the end of our elbow and you'll get that tingle in your own arm and you'll say, I hit my funny bone, but it's not very funny when you hit that. When they nailed those spikes through his wrist, it was like taking a pair of pliers, grabbing a hold of that, that nerve and twisting it. It was such a painful thing. Now when people would die on the cross, a normal person who was put on the cross, it would take three days to die, and they would die slowly of suffocation. What would happen is that as they would be put on the cross, their chest cavity would be caved in. They would be hunched over, and they would not be able to get good breaths. In order to get a good breath while you were on the cross, you would have to use your arm muscles and your leg muscles, and you would have to straighten up take a big breath and slide back down where that painful process was 
bad enough, the cross that they put him was not nice sanded wood. It was jagged wood. If you could think of a big railroad tie that had all those splinters, that's what the type of wood it was. It was something that for Jesus with his back exposed and so lashed already that every time he took a breath, it would drive wood splinters into his back even further. To take one breath was very painful. Now during this time, we've already explained Jesus' loss of blood. It started the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been up and already tired and fatigued. He's already been at the place where he hasn't had enough oxygen. And he's starting to reach a state that we call in the medical profession a hypovolemic shock. Hypo means the lack of or low Volemic carries the idea of low volume. He does not have enough moisture in his body. He's having um, losing blood and he doesn't have enough moisture in his body to replace the blood. And so it's starting to affect him. Because his body is, has a lack of blood, his heart is beginning to work harder to pump what fluid it does have to the rest of the body to keep him alive. And so as the heart is working harder, it's beginning to heat up and have more friction. Now around your heart, you have what is called the periocardial sac. And what this is, is a smooth muscle that goes around. And what it's originally intended to do was to lower the friction of the heart. But what is happening is the the periocardial sac feels that the heart is getting warmer because of the friction. It begins to fill up with water surrounding the heart to try to protect it. But what is happening in this state here because of the lock last lock of blood, the lack of volume of fluids within him is that as the water fills up with the sac it's putting more pressure on the heart now the heart is already beating hard in order to get the um, blood what little blood it has to the rest of the body but now it has to work harder to try to overcome the pressure of that periocardial sac what eventually happens to Jesus Christ is the official diagnosis he dies of what is called a periocardial infusion He dies of a broken heart. His heart could not keep up with the lack of blood upon the cross with no replacements whatsoever. Jesus died. And that was the whole point of me explaining this. If you can imagine him losing blood and he's lost blood and his heart is pumping, his heart gives up and it won't go up there. Now, people have come up with a theory that is called the swoon theory. And this idea here is that Jesus Christ had lost so much blood, but he didn't die yet, but he just passed out up on the cross. And when he passed out on the cross, they put his, his body in an empty tomb. And again, no food, no water. They buried him. They put him in burial robes. They put him there. And after three days, the cool air of the tomb just revived him. And he got up and moved the stone away and walked away. Does that sound medically possible? But some people call it the swoon theory. That Jesus didn't die. He just swooned. He just passed out and it looked like he was dead. But he really wasn't dead. What those people are trying to do is deny the miracle of the resurrection. And let me tell you, it is a miracle. That Jesus Christ did rise from the grave. And he did die. But people do not like the idea that Jesus died. So they come up with different theories. Like the swoon theory. There's the idea of the hallucination hallucination theory. The hallucination theory says that when the 500 people saw Jesus at once, that they were all hallucinating. 
Maybe they had some mushroom wine. Maybe they had something that was causing them to kind of have a a joint hallucination. But they're saying all those people were crazy. They didn't really see Jesus. Well, they're denying evidence of eyewitnesses. There's the kidnap theory. And this has been put up by the Jewish people. That they said that the the, um, disciples in the middle of the night. They overthrew and overcame the Roman soldiers. Moved the rock away. Stole the body of Jesus. He didn't really resurrect. It's just a big hoax. And those are some things that people have put about. Trying to deny that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But you understand the gospel message does declare that Jesus died for our sins and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Why is the burial of resurrection uh, of Jesus so important to the gospel message? Because Jesus had to die. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus died to pay your price and for me. He had to die. That's why the burial is such an important part of the gospel message. So you have the death, you have the burial, but you also have the resurrection. The resurrection is an important part of this. Notice if you don't mind in verse number four. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proved two things. First of all, it proved that Jesus was God. And the second thing that it proved is that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ rising again the third day was God's receipt of payment. I am satisfied your payment is acceptable and it is proven by Jesus Christ rising again. Now without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no guarantee of eternal life. But because he lives, I have the promise that God is going to keep his word and that I will enjoy eternal life because Jesus lives. So we start off by explaining that resurrection is part of the gospel. There's a second thing I'd like to show you here is that resurrection has proof. The resurrection has proof. Now, there is proof that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Let me explain some proofs that we have. First of all, we have the proof of logic. The proof of logic. Hold your finger here and turn with me to the gospel record of Matthew. The gospel record of Matthew in chapter number 27. The gospel record of Matthew chapter 27. And I want to show you something here. In the gospel record of Matthew chapter number 27, we could see that there were two different things done in order to protect the grave, to protect the tomb, to make sure that Jesus Christ's body was not disturbed. Notice with me in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, and notice with me if you don't mind, starting in verse 62. Matthew 27 and verse 62. Now on the next day, this is the day after the resurrection, (laughs) or before the resurrection. Now on the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, 
We remember that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so that the last error shall be worse than the first. And Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, and make it as sure as ye can. And so they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now what we see is that there was two things here. First was a Roman seal. A Roman seal was placed upon it, and that was a declaration. It was a keep out sign by penalty of death. That if you disturbed that, you would be, you would be uh, in trouble with the Roman government. Anyone breaking the seal would be subject to death. And so... First of all, there was a Roman seal warning sign, something placed on that says, if you disturb this, you're going to die. Second of all, they had a 16-man guard unit. We understand that it was about 16 men from uh, later parallel passages or other passages that deal with this, the same practice of guarding valued prisoners. But there's 16 men that are guarding this. So you have a seal, a big sign that says, don't disturb this or you're going to die. And 16 Roman soldier guards. So here, think about this. There are only two explanations of how Jesus Christ's body got out of the grave. How did Jesus' body get out of the grave? First of all, that either man took Christ out or God took him out. Does it make sense? Two ways. Now if man took him out, that means it either had to be by his friends or by his enemies. Those are the only two people who would take him out. Well, could it be his friends? Could it be that the disciples went? Well, think about this logically. First of all, they didn't have enough courage to go fight 16 Roman soldiers. Remember, it was a little maid that told Peter, hey, you're one of the followers that made Peter run. They were not in a state to go fight 16 soldiers and go overthrow them and take the body. In fact, they were crying, everything's lost, everything's horrible. They were not in a state to fight against them. So, no, it couldn't be the friends of Jesus because they had scattered like rats on a sinking ship. They lacked the courage. Well, could it be in his enemies? Maybe his enemies took him out. Could it be the religious leaders of the Romans? Well, obviously not. It was the religious leaders that say, we have to seal the tomb. We don't want it getting out that Jesus rose from the grave. We want soldiers. They did everything they could to protect it. So therefore, man did not take Jesus out. His friends wouldn't do it. His enemies would not do it. So therefore, it had to be God that made Jesus Christ rise from the grave. It was Jesus that did that. His enemies knew that if the body disappeared, Jesus' claim to be God would be verified. The Romans and Jews did everything to destroy the Christian movement, not encourage it. If they had the body of Christ, don't you think they would have said, Ah, he's dead, let me show you, here is his body. The problem is, is that they could not show his body because it had risen. They could not go back and say, look, everyone could go see for themselves. Here's Jesus. He's dead. Don't believe the lies. Nope. That was, in fact, the other way around. They tried to keep it quiet. And they spread a story that Jesus' disciples came in the middle of the night and took the body. Because they, could not, they did not want people to recognize that Jesus rose from the grave. So we have the proof of logic. What other proofs do we have of the resurrection? 
Well, we have the proof of eyewitnesses. The proof of eyewitnesses. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and notice with me in verse 5. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 5. And he, that's Jesus, speaking about his resurrection, was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain in the present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James and then the apostles. What happened is that Jesus Christ made himself available and people saw him and there was eyewitnesses. I want you to think about a murder trial. How many eyewitnesses does it take to condemn someone in a trial of law? Someone said, I saw him take the gun and shoot him repeatedly. I saw it. I have a videotape. Here's evidence. That man's convicted. What would happen if 500 people said, I saw him and saw him shoot him. That is him. We witnessed it. That man would definitely be convicted. Here are 500 people at one time that said, we saw Jesus. And it gives a list of the people that saw Jesus. Peter saw Jesus. The 12 saw Jesus. 500, above 500 people saw him at the same time. James, the brother of, 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 um, of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, who became the first pastor of the church of Jerusalem, he saw him. And then of the other apostles, the other biblical writers. And then Paul's saying, hey, guess what? Those 500 people saw Jesus at once. Some of them are still alive at the time I'm writing. Why didn't you ask them? They will tell you, we were there. We saw him. We saw a risen Savior. So you have the proof of eyewitnesses. So you have the proof of logic. You have the proof of eyewitnesses. You also have the proof of human nature. Human nature. When you study the lives of the remaining 11 and you watched all but one were martyred, meaning they were killed for their faith. Now there's something about human nature is that men will not die for a lie. Not usually. It's not part of their nature. So if Jesus Christ was not alive and these 11 people, they're being tortured and they're being uh, persecuted in certain ways. Don't you think one of them said, you know what, it's been a big hoax, never mind, I don't want to die, forget it. Doesn't that make sense? If, 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 why would you die for a lie? No, they died because they saw a risen Savior. And they said, I can't deny what I saw. I saw Jesus. He is alive. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And so we could see that resurrection has proof. So as we're starting and we're exploring the book of 1 Corinthians 15 and exploring the gospel, we understand that the resurrection is part of the gospel. We understand that the resurrection has proof. A third thing I want to bring to you from this text here is that the resurrection has a purpose. The resurrection has a purpose. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 9. For I am the least of the apostles and am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Therefore whether I, whether it were or I or they, we preach and so ye believe. Now we understand what is the whole purpose of why God created man in the first place. God created man for fellowship. But because of sin, sin broke that fellowship between man and God. When Jesus Christ died again, he allowed the fellowship 
with God and man to be restored. We can now have fellowship with God. We could turn to him and allow him to change our lives. We could depend upon him. That's what God wants. Because of Jesus Christ, man can have fellowship with God. Now, Paul had persecuted the early church. He spoke about this here. He says in verse number 9, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. Now for him, Paul had studied the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, it is my personal belief through history that Paul and Jesus knew each other or had met each other even as 12-year-old boys. That Jesus Christ had come with his family to Jerusalem once a year to honor the Passover. And while he was there, he would go and talk to the doctors and lawyers. Talk to those religious rulers. And they were amazed that this 12-year-old boy, then 13, then 14, as he went every year, knew so much about the Bible. Well, at the same time, the Apostle Paul is there at the school, learning to be a rabbi, studying from these same teachers. The greatest would be Gamaliel, who definitely would have talked to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul had been seeing Jesus Christ from a time he was a young age. He listened to him as he went and he preached in his earthly ministry, observed, took notes. But then something happened that Paul could not wrap his mind around. That Jesus Christ died on the cross. The Bible talks about very clearly that anyone that is hung from a tree or a cross is accursed. And the Apostle Paul could not wrap his mind around that if Jesus was God's Messiah, his anointed one, the one that was going to rule the world, why would God allow his anointed, his Messiah, to be accursed? Paul could not wrap his mind around it. And that is one of the reasons why he persecuted the early church. Because he could not comprehend the idea that Jesus died on the cross. Paul persecuted the church. He he did everything he could to stop the story of Jesus from spreading. However, it was a resurrected Savior. Jesus had already died and was buried and rose again. It was a resurrected Savior who saw who met Paul on the road to Damascus. It was that resurrected Savior who spoke to Paul. And Paul saw him and said, Who art thou, Lord? And he realized who Jesus was at the moment. Who did he see? He saw a living Savior, a resurrected Savior. And it changed Paul's life forever. Notice in verse number 8. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one of born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles and am not meet to be called an apostle for I persecuted the church of God. Notice this in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He says, let me tell you, the fact that Jesus Christ lives, the fact of his resurrection changed who I am. Let me tell you that anyone that comes encountered with a risen Savior and you realize that he lives and you come to meet him for yourself in a personal way, it will change your life. You understand the gospel is not just saying a prayer. The gospel is not recognizing intellectual facts. The gospel is a person and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And when someone gets saved it's when they realize that they're a sinner and because of their sin that they offended a holy righteous God and that Jesus died for them 
And the moment they personally meet Jesus and they realize who he is and says, I want you. And Jesus comes to live within them and meets them. It changes them forever because he is a risen savior. He changes our life. Now, the gospel does not change because of the messenger. There are some well-meaning but confused folks that say Paul had a gospel and Matthew had a gospel. That's why one of the reasons why I specifically state the gospel record of Matthew. Matthew doesn't have a gospel, but he has a gospel record. He records the gospel, which is the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel record of John. The gospel record of Luke. They don't have different gospel messages. There's one gospel. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, let me tell you the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel does not change. Even these 2,000 years later, the gospel has not changed. It's still the same. The death, burial, and resurrection. That Jesus Christ died for your sins Then he rose again the third day to prove that God was satisfied. All that is left is since God accepted the terms is for each and every one of us to personally accept the terms for ourselves. I remember the day that I did it. I was in a vacation Bible school in Dallas, Texas. And I went every day that week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And it was on the last day and the last meeting I could remember the pew I was sitting in when I had a preacher who loved me enough to take me to the Bible, and show me from the Bible that I was a sinner. And I didn't need to be convinced of that. Even as a small boy, I knew I was a sinner. But he explained to me from the Bible that because of my sin, I deserved to go to an awful place called hell. And I didn't want to go there. But he loved me enough to take me from the Bible and tell me that Jesus died for me. And that all I had to do was accept that free gift that Jesus offered to me. And I remember where I was at when I bowed my head and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And let me tell you, from that time, my life has changed. Since that time, I have peace. I have purpose. Oh, Christ has done so much and he's proven himself over and over and over to me. Let me tell you that it's not just a prayer. It's not just an acquisition, understanding of facts. It is meeting the person of Jesus Christ for yourself. It is a personal relationship that happens the moment that you allow Jesus to do something. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God has given you a great gift. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, it's not a prayer that saves you, but there's something about asking God for the gift. The moment that you ask God and he, he, you accept those terms, when you're praying, all you're doing is saying, God, I accept your terms. When you accept the terms and we know that he's already accepted, at that moment, your sins are forgiven. And they're forgiven for an evermore. For those of you who've had the gospel experience, meaning that you come to the place where you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you understood that moment that you knew who Jesus was personally, let me tell you, everyone else needs to know that same message of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But maybe there's someone out there who is listening to this now and you've never come to the place where you personally recognize that you were a sinner And because of your sin that you've offended a holy, righteous God. Let me tell you that Jesus died for you. 
And if you today, if you this moment would accept Jesus as your Savior, you can meet him personally face to face. You can get to know him as a person, as a real person. He'll come in your life and he will change you. It is Jesus that you need in your life. Let me tell you that we would love to help you. Maybe you want to call us or maybe you want to text us, message us, do something. If we can answer any questions. But let me tell you, you don't need a preacher to get saved. All you need is to accept Jesus as yourself. You could go wherever you're at. You could bow your head and you could accept Christ where you're at right now. There's no magic words. There's no secret uh, sentence you have to say. It's using the best you can, the best you know how, saying Jesus save me, forgive me of my sins, wash me clean. Just doing the best you can saying, Jesus, whatever he just said, I need that. And the moment that you do that, Jesus promised, and he can't lie, that he would forgive you of all of your sins. Of course, if we could answer any questions or comments, if we could do anything for you, please let us know. For those of you who have Jesus as your Savior, let me tell you, the whole world needs to know this gospel message. They need to know that Jesus died for them and that why he died, that he did die and that he rose again from the grave, that resurrection, and that we serve a risen Savior. He's alive and we have hope and he does so much for us. Let me tell you, in a time where people do not have hope, they need this hope. That we can have different lives, not better lives, different lives, because we have a God of hope. And that we could respond differently and react differently to the things that are going on. Dear friend, let me ask you once again, are you 100% sure if you were to die today, are you 100% sure that your sins are forgiven? If not, let me tell you, I want to encourage you to accept Christ now. And if we could answer any questions, if we can make it clear to you, if you want to do some follow-up, call us, text us, message us, come see us, do whatever it takes. And it would be our great privilege to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible and get your answers to you the best that we can. If you don't mind wherever you're at, let's bow our heads and bow our hearts and let's talk to God now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. A God who is worthy to be served, worthy to be worshipped, worthy of our adoration, worthy of our praise. And as we come up to you, we recognize that we are sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As we come to you now. Maybe there's someone out there that does not know you as Savior. But now they realize that they need you to forgive them of their sins. That they need you to give them a place in heaven. They, they need you to change their life from its current state. They need you for hope. We know that a prayer doesn't, isn't magical words. But maybe they could say something as simple as this. Dear Heavenly Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And that according to your Bible, I deserve to go to hell. And I don't want to go there. So the best that I know how, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Lord, please save me. 
Thank you for saving me. You see, it's not any magical words, but you could say something as simple as that. Just say, Lord, help, I need you. Forgive me. Let me tell you, dear friend, if you do say a prayer like that, if you do accept Jesus as your personal Savior, if you do allow Jesus to forgive you, please let us know about it. and We'd love to show you some next steps. We want to encourage you with some things that you have in this brand new life. But dear friend, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, don't put it off. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the time for you to take that gift, why he's handing it to you, why he's lifting it to you, why he's saying, take it, take it, take it. Now is the time for you to accept that gift. To get, accept that gift, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to pay money to the church. You don't have to help little ladies cross the street. The only thing you have to do is accept that gift for yourself. Please accept that gift. Take it for yourself. Lord, I'm asking that you would give courage and bravery to any folk out there that needs to know more about Jesus. Maybe you'd give them courage and bravery to be willing to admit that they're sinners and ask you for your help. If there's anything we can do to be an encouragement or blessing to these dear folks, please let us know and we would love to make ourselves available. Lord, guard us now. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three oh six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.